1: To the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. I want to wish everyone a very happy holidays. I know we haven't had a podcast in a little while, been a little traveling going on. Of course, USD and Iowa are coming up. Holiday Bowl just a couple days after Christmas, December 27th. I'm actually on the East Coast right now, so I'm visiting family, not in my studio, but I wanted to do at least one podcast while I was here. So we're going to do a Iowa preview podcast. We're going to have, uh, David, uh, Ike he's from the Hawkeye Insider, does a great job covering the Iowa Hawkeyes for 24-7 sports. So got an interview with him. So we'll talk to him for a while. And then afterwards, there's a lot of questions you guys have sent in uh, post-signing day stuff. So I'll do my best to answer uh, at least a good amount of the questions that you guys have wrote in or emailed in or you know texted in, called in. I'll do my best to answer all of those. So that'll be in the uh, second half of the show. But the first half, We're going to do our Iowa preview, and of course, it's a a matchup between number 16 Iowa and number 22 USC in the college football rankings. It's a really good matchup, if you remember back in 2003, the Trojans and the Hawkeyes faced off in the Orange Bowl, so it's been a while um, from since that game has happened, and we want to break things down. This is a very tough uh, Iowa team, Uh, USC wrapped up there practices on campus today on Tuesday and are heading down to San Diego it's of course been a really crazy time because you had the finals and early signing period and all that so there's a lot going on but USC heading down to San Diego now so we're going to do a little uh, game preview talking about that and then like I said answer all of your questions in the second segment all right as promised we're going to talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes with David I he does a great job Covering the Hawkeyes for HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Follow him on Twitter at David Eicholt, E-I-C-K-H-O-L-T. David, thanks for coming on and, uh, give a little preview of this holiday ball.
0: Hey, yeah, Ryan, appreciate you having me on. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a really interesting game, I think. There's a lot of good matchups in it. And yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to actually watch it unfold.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. It's been a while since, uh, USC actually had a, a bye week, the final. Uh, week of the regular season so it's been a while neither iowa or usc played in a championship game so both teams have had some time off i know iowa got into it right away as far as bowl preparation goes it's been kind of a hot topic for usc fans if you want to maybe give an update on what what iowa strategy has been trying to practice for the holiday bowl
0: yeah i mean when we so we basically met with the coaching staff a lot later than you know, I think most people did when the bowl game announcement was released. We kind of got a preview from the defensive coordinator, Phil Parker. And that was on, I think, the Sunday, uh, you know, when the bowl games were announced. And he just said, look, the te- we've already practiced twice. We're going to get back at it uh, again that Monday. So there were three practices, almost three practices in by the time they'd even heard of the matchup. I mean, Iowa being, you know, the developmental program they are, they're going to take advantage of, you know, every every little th- thing that they can and I think the biggest thing is when we met with Kirk um last week he just said they're just starting to dive into USC so I mean we haven't even really gotten the chance to talk specifics with the coaching staff yet so I think they were just using that time mostly for you know developmental and see what type of guys step up for next season and maybe in spring but as far as USC goes I think Iowa's starting their prep a little bit later but I will say I some Iowa players have have probably almost a a better idea of USC when the bowl game announcement was released because they were talking about uh Slavis, uh Iowa defensive back Geno Stone was complimenting, you know, how fast he's watched him progress, looking at the numbers. And I think I think Iowa's defense has really tried to be in tune with it because I think they know they have a giant test uh with the huge athletic wide receivers and, you know, kind of a that third string quarterback of USC is, it's amazing just how how fast he's progressed and how well he can sling it in I'm I'm really excited to kind of watch him go up against Iowa's defense. Iowa's defense is typically that bend don't break mentality, and I think I hate. I mean, I think it's could be a, could be a potential shootout. And Iowa's offense hasn't been known as explosive, uh, but I really do think USC's passing attack it's gonna pose some interesting challenges because I think they're more athletic, uh, in every single one of the matchups. So we'll see if Iowa's bend don't break kind of scheme can actually work against a really explosive USC passing attack.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, Keaton Slovis and the, the USC wide receivers in a, in a minute. Um, that's good. You know, I think that's certainly USC strength and I think Iowa's past defenses has been one of, uh, the Hawkeyes strength. But before we get into that, just the, um, kind of with the bowl prep stuff, USC fans have been a little critical of how USC has prepared for these things, uh, for not just bowl games, but regular practices. Not a lot of tackling and stuff going on in practices. Is Iowa one of those teams? I don't know if you get to watch much practice. Is there like tackling to the ground each week? Do they do Oklahoma drills, or is it kind of like just uh, you know going slow and, and making sure you don't guys get guys banged up uh, during the week?
0: Yeah, so we don't get to watch much practice, but you know just talking to people and kind of understanding what Kirk Ferentz has done for the last 21 years at Iowa, it's a pretty healthy combination. Uh, they do a lot. I think especially during the devel- developmental phase, they'll do a lot of you know Oklahoma drills. They'll do a lot of just tackling technique drills. And I think that's why Iowa typically, outside that 2015 Rose Bowl against, uh, 2016 Rose Bowl against Stanford, Iowa typically does tackle pretty well. I mean, when a lot of other teams have more natural talent than Iowa, Iowa doesn't always recruit the best athletes, but they're one of the more more technically sound teams. And I think that's due to just how much they really do beat each other up in practice. And it's been an interesting year, I think, for Iowa, and I'm interested to see what they do for the actual bull prep or kind of hear about it because Iowa's just been so beat up this year, injury-wise. You know, I four of Iowa's top six defensive backs were out for the first five, six weeks of the season. There have been, you know, guys getting dinged up here and there from practices. Um, So I think they are going to go less physical when it comes to USC, kind of the bull prep. But, you know, being the Kirk Ferentz mantra and what Iowa prides themselves on, tough, smart, physical football, they typically do a pretty healthy amount of contact. Uh, actually uh for Nebra like for Nebraska, their old head coach Mike Riley. They had a defensive coordinator named Mark Banker and this is his last real quote he said before he was like go oh, by Nebraska he said Iowa's practices must be like blood bats because of just <laughs> how hard those guys hit each other uh and how sound they are and he didn't last I don't think more than forty eight hours after that that quote came out one during the uh one of those blowouts. But yeah, so I, I think I think Iowa's pretty Pretty typically going to be one of those kind of get after it beat each other up and i think that's why iowa typically you see those guys gain 20 30 pounds uh from positions of need when guys first step on campus and i think that's why you know iowa strength co- coach chris doyle is is so well respected and well known for developing those guys and i i think that physical practice is a huge part of that
1: well let's talk about the iowa defense first you mentioned it i mean it's going to be a a really interesting matchup with the second the Iowa secondary against USC's passing attack. Certainly it's strength uh, on offense. Uh, so in nine of Iowa's games allowed fewer than 200 yards passing. And then in the other three, they were over 300. So it seems to be a little bit more of a feast or famine, but if I'm not mistaken, I think that Iowa won those games. Uh, Geno stones, a stud, I think 20 career starts there. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about the Iowa pass defense in the secondary and how they fared this season so far.
0: Yeah, you know, I think for the most part, for from expectation standpoint, they've done really well because I think if you look at over the last couple of years, Iowa's typically had that one stud defensive back that's kind of carried the load. Iowa has had four of the last seven defensive backs of the year in the Big Ten. Uh Desmond King obviously won the Jim Thorpe Award. Josh Jackson was the runner-up a few years ago when he had eight picks. But this is just a really sound group. And like you mentioned, Geno Stone, I think, really is a big reason why he was the kind of guy who held the entire team uh together when they were going through all of those injuries. Uh Michael Ojemudia, fifth year senior captain, defensive been pretty, pretty good this season. Matt Hankins has also uh kind of been there. But yeah, I think I think for the most part, Iowa's done pretty well. But the, the biggest concern I have is from a guy like Michael Pittman and how unbelievable he is. I mean, he is just an absolute freak show on that edge. And I think he's going to be a really solid NFL guy. I always kind of had trouble when teams have those star receivers that can go off. Uh, I look at Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, obviously one of the best wide receivers I think in the country this year. Uh, he had six catches, 98 yards against Iowa. Tyler Johnson had 197 yards against Iowa on, on 11 catches. Freshman David Bell from Purdue had 13 catches, 197 yards and a touchdown. So when you get those athletic guys, uh, you know, on that edge and they really can, they do have potential to kind of go off against Iowa, which is kind of strange to say, because when you look at the numbers, you don't expect that. So I think, I think that's going to be the biggest matchup to watch. Uh, I I think interception wise, it, they aren't near what they were, I think over the last couple of years, but they're just incredibly sound. They'll give up a play here or there over the middle, but Iowa really has not been beat by that many explosive plays this season. Uh, and they gave up a big one against Iowa State. They gave up a couple nice catches to David Bell. But for the most part, it really is kind of that bend don't break mentality. Uh and I I'm interested to see kind of how long they'll have to cover the actual USC wide receivers. Iowa's defensive line has been uh the pass rush has been a huge part of why Iowa did recover with three straight wins, five of the last six, um, ten of the season AJ FNS has been a complete stud. Uh you know, first team all-conference there. Kind of everyone else is really learning how to get pressure on the inside, winning more one-on-one battles to allow Epinesa to get open. But I think if if USC can protect Slovis and they can get a guy like Pittman going, you know, if if Iowa can't get in the backfield in the first, you know, three seconds, I think that there could be some real problems over there out on that edge.
1: You know, A.J. Epinesa, I mean, he has uh, almost, what, 34 and a half tackles for loss in his career. 24 sacks he's been a stud uh the junior defensive edge well he's gonna play in the bowl game right like he, i know he might come out and go to the nfl but he didn't say he's gonna skip the bowl game or anything right
0: yeah him and tristan Wirfs both said they've submitted for nfl feedback but they're both planning on playing and i've actually heard whispers epinesa's really mulling over a decision to come back for a senior year
1: interesting so, right, that, yeah, yeah it's, be it's gonna huge. be really interesting i mean tons of production in his career i was gonna ask you because this pass defense has been good, you know, number 11 in the country, 184 passing yards per game and only 11 touchdown passes allowed all season, less than one a game. USC gets, you know, two or three a game. How much of mm-hmm. that has been, uh, Epinesa and, and that defensive front that they can get pressure on, on quarterbacks and, and not allow the, the passing game to get going?
0: Yeah, I think earlier in the season, it was more so just a very sound defense. Like outside of Epinesi, you look up and down the roster, there's really no big names that kind of pop out. Maybe Geno Stone's the second guy. Um but I think over the last month, especially, it's been a very, very great effort by the defensive line. I mean, I think Iowa through the first, uh, I don't have seven probably, but through the first seven games, I think they only managed about I think 11 or 12 sacks. They weren't getting any pressure. They were allowing guys to kind of sit back uh, and deliver. But over the last month, Iowa, the last five games, they turned it up a notch. I mean, I think they are they were up to 18 sacks in five games. So, I mean, they were really getting after it. Epinesa, I think, really finally started to kind of learn how to manage those double and triple teams. And guys along that front line learned how to win more one-on-one battles and take away Epinesa because teams felt comfortable – Throwing two or three guys at Epinesa because the rest of Iowa's defensive line could not win, uh, and get pressure on the quarterback. So Epinesa had an extremely slow start to the season, but over the last month, he, com- you know, he, he really did blow up that, that game against Nebraska was one of the more special games I've ever seen out of a defensive end. He had 14 tackles, four and a half for loss, two and a half sacks, and he was just a, a complete freak show. I mean, you, you don't really hear of a defensive end getting 14 tackles. But every single play, he was getting in the backfield. So he he's riding a really he's riding really high confidence right now, and he he I think just I still think he's kind of eager to try to prove himself because a lot of people dropped him in the draft boards, uh you know through those first seven or eight games because there were a handful of games where oh he had one tackle, oh he had two tackles, oh he had a half a tackle. I think in five of the games he had two or fewer tackles. But then he just all of a sudden exploded and kind of reminded people, like, hey, look, Chase Young's a special talent. But there's a reason why I was in the top 10 in most NFL mock boards going into this season. So I uh, Iowa's defensive line, I think, is as confident as ever. And I think with those young guys, they have a season of experience under their belt. Because Iowa's entire starting defensive line this season, none of them have started before, really started all of last season. Uh, so I was replacing a lot, but I think that they've really kind of meshed well together. They kind of understand it. And, uh, I think first year defensive line coach, uh, Jay Neiman and first year defensive line coach, uh, Kelvin Bell, who previously had served as an assistant defensive line coach, have really extracted the best out of it. Obviously Iowa lost their legendary defensive line coach to retirement, Reese Morgan, uh, this season. So a defensive line was a huge question mark. But I just think that they learned how to really play with one another and extract kind of the best out of one another.
1: Makes sense. Uh, switching to the offensive side of the ball, uh veteran quarterback, Nate Stanley's already won two bowl games in his career. It doesn't seem like the most explosive player in the world, but how has this Iowa offense uh, been? Is, is Stanley more of a game manager and what, what, what can USC fans expect to see from the Hawkeyes?
0: Yeah. You know, I, Here's the thing, and obviously Iowa has never been known as a wide receiver school or a wide you know a wide receiver factory or anything of that sort, but I will say this is probably the most talented wide receiver group that Iowa's had at least in the past t- decade and maybe one or maybe the most talented or second most talented since Kirk Ferentz has taken over. Brandon Smith who has missed the last 4 weeks uh four games of the season is expected to play 33 receptions. Uh just an absolute freak on the edge, 6'2", 220 pounds, uh, was the state high jump champ in Mississippi. He can go up and make those 50-50 balls, 80-20, 85-15 uh, balls. He's got giant hands, good route runner, extremely physical run blocker. Uh So I'd look out for him, Amir smith uh speedster, big play guy, Tyrone Tracy is kind of struggled with drops a little bit, but he's a very explosive player as well. But as for Nate Stanley, I think Nate Stanley is more of a game manager. But he does have potential that when things are really clicking for him, he can really get it going. He had six touchdowns against Indiana last year, probably his most famous game in 2017, his first year starting. He threw for five touchdowns against USC – I mean, against Ohio State, excuse me, uh, when it was 55-24 uh, in 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 a late November game. He really kind of found a way to get that going. A big guy to look out for, I think, though, is freshman running back Tyler Goodson. He's only started the last three games, but he's kind of that explosive backfield guy who can make guys miss in open space. Uh, Big play guy, can catch the ball out of the backfield, can make two, three guys miss. Uh, So I think if Iowa's offensive line gets a push and Tyler Goodson can get going, I think that's a really good sign for Iowa. Um, So I think that'll be something to watch. But Nate Stanley, I think the biggest thing and what people have most criticized him for over his career is his ability to really win in neutral, in road games, and have big performances. There have been a number of games, whether it be Penn State last year, Michigan this year when Iowa fell 10-3 to and offense couldn't get anything going. He was sacked 10 times in that game. Uh 14 tackles for loss the Michigan defense had against Iowa. Um But I think that's just the biggest thing. If Nate Stanley gets going and establishes confidence early, I think that's huge for him. If he struggles early, I don't know if he can really recover. There have been times he can, and there have been times where you know he's thrown under 100 yards a game entering the fourth uh the fourth quarter against Nebraska Stanley only had 44 passing yards well <laughs> against the Nebraska defense that really was not anything this year uh so i think there there's some big playmakers i think the biggest thing that's kind of held Iowa back is the interior offensive line play has been bad just to just to bluntly put it it's been bad uh as I mentioned, they were sacked ten times against against Michigan. And I think that when the team gels, they do have potential to put up some good numbers and produce explosive plays, but when it's bad, it's it's bad. So yeah. I think it's just gonna come down to how Iowa comes out of the gate.
1: That makes sense. Um how about on the special teams uh side of things, Eddie? Standouts, return game, punter, kicker, anything like that. What, what does Iowa do well? Doesn't do well in special teams.
0: Yeah, I think Iowa special teams wise is pretty good. I think the biggest criticism they would have is, uh, the punting and the punting's even been worlds better than it was last year. Graduate transfer, 28 year old Michael Sleep Dalton, uh, averaged 42 yards per punt this year, 10 of 50 plus 20, uh, you know, he said, uh, 21 inside 20. For his career, I mean, he, he's a guy that when he gets confident and gets going early, he, he can be the savior, but there have been a number of times this year, oh, he shanked the punt. Um, it's 20, 30 yards, and that's been Iowa's problem, I think, over the last three years. But I definitely look out for Amir Smith marset in the return game. He's second in Big Ten history in kickoff return average, over 26, uh, I'm sorry, 28.6, uh, yards per kickoff return, had his first career kickoff return, uh, last, uh, against nebraska when iowa needed it most and he's a guy that he really it's almost head scratching because there'll be some where he just waves it off and you're thinking you could have gotten 20 25 yards he just got the ball and ran out and then there'll be times where he'll catch it in the end zone he'll kind of dance a little bit and then he'll take off and you know the returner the the, the kick team's already about on the 10 or 15 yard line you're just sitting there like what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but I, I will say that's when com- some of his most explosive plays have happened. So I'd look for Amir Smith Marseille in the return game. Part return wise, Iowa's just, I'd say they're just trying to survive. They're trying to have a guy back there that can just catch the ball, down it, not do anything too cute with it. it. Iowa really struggled with that for the first eight games of the season. As far as the kickers go, Iowa fans are still, I think, extremely bitter about the Lou Groza award. Uh, obviously, Blankenship, blank the Georgia kicker won it. But yeah. Iowa's Keith Duncan went 29 for 34 on field goals this year, 14 of 18 from 40-plus yards. Uh, the 29 field goals only too shy of the NCAA season uh, record. He already owns the Big Ten single-season record. He broke that in, I think, Iowa's eighth game. So kick, kicker is about as stable as it can be. Iowa can produce explosive plays in their return game. And puntings basically survived. And try to let everyone else kind of carry that load. Don't do anything too cute with it. Just get the job done.
1: So a, couple, a pair of twenty-eight-year-old punters in this game. Um, interesting. They can you know they can rent cars and uh, drive their teammates to Tijuana if they want to after the. Whole, you know. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. And I think he, I was.
0: He... I think I think Sleep Dalton was an electrical engineer or something, and he wanted to try to you know become an NFL punter when he transferred over to the states. He actually. I'm trying to remember where he played Juco ball, but he, he was out in California. Uh, Saint, I think St. Joseph's college out there. He was punting out there. So it, uh, yeah, electrical engineer turned NFL punter, I guess.
1: Nice. Interesting. Um, one of the things, if you look at this Iowa team does a really good job as far as you know, efficiency on off of turnovers, you know, not turn the ball over a lot, being able to force turnovers, kind of the opposite of USC. Uh, penalties as well, uh, pretty good in the penalty aspect where USC is one of the most penalized teams in the country. I mean, seems like this is a pretty disciplined Iowa squad, and uh, on the other side, for USC, it's, it's it's sort of, I guess they're sort of the opposite.
0: Yeah, I think that's just the mantra for, for Kirk Ferentz teams. I mean, I have to look back, but I, I don't think they've really had more than maybe one season where they've ranked outside the top third of the country, and Least amount of penalties per game. That's just who he is. I mean, that's what Hayden Fry was, and I, I think that'll be another aspect too is how Iowa responds and how Kirk Ferentz responds following the death of you know a legendary college football coach Hayden Fry. Obviously, the, the two of them were really close. But I think Hayden Fry kind of instilled in Kirk when he was first hired back in 1981, kind of that just disciplined football. And I think Iowa's done a great job traditionally over the years of being a disciplined football team. Obviously this year is really no different. There have been a couple outliers, uh, in games where they've really, I think, struggled. But overall, this is a pretty, uh, pretty disciplined Iowa team. Another thing I did want to mention too, uh, probably the most interesting stat you'll want to look out for in this game is when Iowa runs the ball for over a hundred yards over the last five years, they're 42 and four when they don't. They're, (laughs) they're one and 18. Oh my gosh. The only win that they had when they rushed for less than 100 yards was in last year's Outback Bowl when they played against Mississippi State, who was probably the best defense in the country. Iowa ran for negative 15 yards but still put up 27 points.
1: Wow, that's a great stat. Um you know, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Hayden Fry. That's I'm someone I you know, legendary uh, coach and and mentor figure for the Iowa football program. Um, you know, is that something that this team can rally around? Or, I mean, what, what is, would it have any impact on the game, you think?
0: I don't know about the team. And the only reason why I say that is I don't think any of the current team actually had met Hayden Fry. Uh, I do think that it's extremely emotional for Kirk. And we, we talked to him basically the day it, it happened that, that next day and how emotional he was. And kind of everyone knows. What, I mean, Hayden Fry basically built Iowa's football program. I mean, Iowa, before Hayden was hired, Iowa had lost seven, had 17 straight losing seasons. Uh, the first two seasons for Fry were also losing seasons, but he redid the team colors. He gave Iowa the Tiger Hawk logo. He made the locker rooms pink, which I think everyone kind of knows about for the most part. And he, he, he was the, basically the, he is the brand of Iowa. He's probably the, of Iowa Hawkeye football. I mean, he's probably the most influential single person on Iowa's athletic department in, in the history of, of the school and just how close for Kirk parents I, I don't know how much really they're going to do his tribute in the game. I know they are, but I, I, I'd be rem, I'd be surprised if it didn't have any impact on Kirk and kind of how he coaches the game and kind of how he goes about and kind of the extra emotional element wise. I think it's going to be extremely hard for him, but uh, I think it's going to affect kind of the way that maybe even the game plan, maybe uh, how they go about during the game itself. I, I think Kirk's going to, he already wanted it. I think this just ramps it up to a completely different level because one, you know, Hayden Fry, one of his most famous bowl games and most memorable seasons Ended in a Holiday Bowl, so oh. there's that connection there too. Um, I'm not saying his best seasons or anything like that, but just his most memorable seasons. What people kind of talk about uh, for Hayden seasons, they do bring up the Holiday Bowl. So I, I'm I'm really interested to kind of see how the day, not even like just how the day in general develops and how the game kind of develops, because I do think that just from an emotional standpoint, from a coach, I think it's going to be huge. And when we were talking to Kirk Ferentz about, it, he just said, "Look, it's like losing a dad." Yeah. And that, it's like, oh man, that, some heavy stuff.
1: Yeah. That's some heavy sure. stuff, man. We'll see how that impacts things. Also the, you know, the last time these two teams played in 2003 in the Orange Bowl, I mean, obviously players weren't even alive then, but what the, or well, I guess they were alive, but not, uh, not really probably college football fans. In,
0: invested know. in college football. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, any, is there talk about that, the last game, or is it any impact there?
0: You know, I, I don't think from the players themselves, I think from them, it's great for us, you know, us media, cause we get kind of talking about, oh, we remember this about it, this about it. I I think maybe for Kirk, I think maybe he'd kind of want, I want to see a revenge, but I think he'd like to pick up a win against USC after kind of what happened in 2003 and kind of that way that game transpired, especially with the team that Iowa had had at that point, because obviously the Brad Banks Carson Palmer matchup was I mean, that, that was the biggest thing I was looking forward to back then, too. I mean, the two great quarterbacks, top two in the Heisman. Uh, so I think for Kirk and maybe I'm, I'm trying to think how many coaches would even have been around during that time uh, on Iowa staff. Not many, if any. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I'd say for Kirk, maybe, yeah, I, he'd like to probably get some revenge, quote unquote, on USC from that game. But I think enough times kind of passed along where it's just like, OK, look, USC is a, a national brand. It's a blue blood program, a win against a, you know, you, in USC in general, I think kind of propels them, uh, on the map. So I think from that standpoint and even from a Iowa, what Iowa fans want to see, yeah, they'd like to pick up a win, I think, against a blue blood. And I think that's just one of the biggest motivations for that and kind of giving and kind of pushing out the senior group, uh, out on a high because if, if Iowa seniors win this game, it's the most wins in a five year span in Iowa football history. They're tied with it currently. Wow. So I think that's an extra motivator for them. And you know, a ten win season's a, a ten win season.
1: Yeah. Always want to try to get that. Um Big Ten's done really well. Last uh won the last four holiday bowls. Um you know, I've heard ticket sales were great with Iowa. I know USC fans are there's a lot of fans that are just sort of protesting that they don't like that Clay Hilton was retained as the head coach and mm-hmm. They might not make the two-hour drive down the freeway to go see this game. What do, I mean, does it seem like there's a lot of Iowa people that will be coming out for it?
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, the Holiday Bowl. Again, Iowa fans really wanted to go back to the Holiday Bowl. They haven't been there, I don't think, since I have to check. I think 1991's the last time they've been there. So they haven't been there in a long time. I think finally them getting out of the Outback Bowl is a big deal, too since everyone makes fun of Iowa for going to the Outback Bowl about 30 times in 30 years, <laughs> it kind of seems like. So I think kind of getting on the West Coast and kind of seeing out there, and I think I think even the matchup in general, I don't know if, if the ticket sales would have been as good. I mean, Grant, Iowa fans always travel well. I think that's why Iowa – you know, bowl games typically like getting Iowa because people want to get out of the 20, 10, 10, 20 degrees, you know, of Iowa, um, So I think as an impact, but I think just a matchup with USC in general, I think people want to go see that matchup because Iowa fans have been clamoring for, hey, look, we think Iowa fans, I think, feel respected to some extent, at least, you know, like a reasonable top 25 program in college football. But they want to go up against the marquee teams that, you know, where they, you know, if Iowa wins, the fans can come out and say, hey, look, beat their, you know, beat their chest yell about it whatever hey we be a blue blood we beat these bigger programs you know kind of pay kind of pay attention to us you know so I think that's a big motivator for them too and I think it, it's San Diego I mean it's, it's gonna be beautiful yeah. weather it's gonna be the beach it's gonna be everything else so I, I, I expect I would have a pretty decent sized crowd there
1: yeah I'm curious to see what the whole crowd looks like um what the one last thing before we let you go uh well how do you feel this one I I really don't even know like How this is going to go. I could see it going a whole bunch of different ways, but do you, any sense of how you think this game is going to play out?
0: Yeah, I think you summed it up best. I think I could see this going a thousand different ways, honestly. Uh, I I think, I think the biggest thing for Iowa is just can they get pressure on Slovis? Can Epinesa get going early? Can they, can they rattle him in the pocket? Because I think if you allow him to sit back there in the pocket, he's going to hit Pittman. He's going to hit those guys, those big playmakers. And I just, I don't want to say I don't like how Iowa athletically matches up, but USC always has big time athletes. They have guys wow. that are just unbelievable. Um, but Iowa is just so technically sound in the past game, but you know, I really do think that this is going to be a game that's in the thirties. Iowa's tied for the nation's lead. I think with 17 straight games and not allowing an opponent to score 30 or more points, wow. I think that's the biggest threshold is if Iowa allows USC to get more than 30, I don't like Iowa's chances uh, because I just don't trust the offense enough to really get going. I've seen them at their best. I think that there's potential to get going. I think Tyler Goodson could have 100, 125 rushing yards at least. Uh, but Stanley's rattled, and Iowa doesn't hit their mojo and kind of hit their groove immediately. I don't know how I like it. I, I, I can't even tell you if I'm ready to pick it yet, but I could see this being a game in the high 20s. In the, even in the 30s, I really don't think this is going to be a 17-14 game. I think it's going to be, I don't want to say a, a Big 12 shootout because I don't want to insult either defense, that atrocity that is Big 12 defense. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do think that this is going to be a relatively high-scoring game. I, I, I have too much respect for USC's passing attack. Uh, but I also don't want to dismiss Iowa's solid defense. But I just don't know if I trust Iowa's offense to get going yet. So I think the spread's about right where it is right now. Uh, I really haven't even settled on a team I'm going to pick. I'm probably going to flip-flop another 20, 25 times as the <laughs> week goes along.
1: Yeah, I still, I, I haven't really thought about it. Yet. I'm like, I don't know who I'm going to pick in this one, but I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I think like if USC gets into the 30s, probably USC's going to win. If not, then you know, I think I always got a better chance to win, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, I
0: think 30s, 30s that magic threshold. I think, I think that's the number you're going to want to look for. And again, I'm gonna go back to I think Iowa's rushing attack. If, if Iowa can't get anything going on, on the ground, Iowa struggles when you force them to pass 40, 50 times in a game, and that's what they've done against some of the bigger opponents. Penn State they passed a lot. 20, 21 of their final 22 plays were passes, despite wow. it being you know a one-score game for the most part. Iowa only lost to Michigan 10 to three. Iowa threw the ball over 40 times. If you make Iowa's offense one-dimensional, I'm probably picking the other team. I think that's something else you want to look forward
1: to. David Eicholt does a great job covering the Hawkeyes for HawkeyeInsider.com. David, thanks again for uh, coming on and sharing some thoughts on the game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
1: All right. That's David. We'll be back in a minute and uh, talk more about this USC Trojan football team.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
2: I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai
0: Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All
1: right, great stuff from David. We're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. I'll get to your questions in a second, but I want to tell everyone here About SeatGeek, you want to make that drive down the five to go to the Holiday Bowl to see the Trojans and the Hawkeyes. Make sure you need tickets. Go to SeatGeek. Great app. They show you exactly where you could sit. And it's good. A lot of people ask us questions about what's the USC sideline? What's the Iowa sideline? You can tell right on the app. You pull up the app, pulling up the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl, and you can see where all the tickets are available. They'll tell you the best deals, uh, the best price, you know, for $43 you can get uh, row 7, uh, lower view 47, uh, and for 46 bucks you can get something similar, uh, section view 8, row 7. They also have other deals, and they tell you that the most expensive tickets, the ones that are better deals, the ones that aren't. And most importantly, you know which side you want to be on. You want to be on the USC side. You want to be on the Iowa side. So you can check that out all on SeatGeek. Make sure you download the app. And the great thing is, right now, if you download the SeatGeek app, your first purchase, so you buy tickets to the Holiday Bowl, they're going to give you $10 off. So use promo code USC, you will get $10 off your first purchase uh, for all your tickets on SeatGeek. It's not just football, it's not just the Holiday Bowl. You can get tickets to movies, concerts, uh, sport—you know, any other sporting event, not just USC football, comedy clubs, anything like that you can get on SeatGeek. And your first pit purchase on the app, like I said, you get $10 off. So make sure you go check it out. There's a lot of great seats available still for the holiday bowl. They have these little green dots that'll tell you, uh, if they are better deals or not. So the little red ones are they're overpriced. Big green dots mean, hey, you're getting a really good deal on this one. So hopefully you're going to go check it out. Go check out SeatGeek. And, uh, I'm sure, you know, if you want to get your tickets to the event for the holiday bowl, you'll get a, you'll get a great deal over at SeatGeek. All right. Let's jump into our questions. Uh, we got some, we got a few voicemails. And uh, like I said, I am now recording this in, uh, uh, my childhood home growing up on the East Coast uh, outside of Boston. So I don't have my um, some of the technology in, in the studio that we'd have, but I can still insert a voicemail or two in here. We got a few. Um, Don from the East Coast called in a couple of times, but both of them were over two minutes. Uh, sorry, Don, not on a great day, maybe on like an off-season day, but not when I'm traveling can we do that. So make sure you keep the voicemail short. We will play a uh, our buddy Curtis from Reno Valley. He's got a voicemail coming up. Uh, a little bit later. All right, let's go to. Oh, there was a question from Ross, class of 1980 uh, on Tunnel Vision. He wanted to know if there was going to be Tunnel Vision addressing the recruiting news results. Uh, he says, thank you, Ryan and team, for keeping us all sane during these turbulent times. Um, so this is going to be the first podcast we've done since uh, the early signing period, because um, there's a lot of traveling and everything going on. And we haven't done a Tunnel Vision. We we're thinking about doing We were thought about doing one Sunday, but I was on the road. So probably not until I get back. I did do a rather lengthy instant analysis with Keila Yore, and Dan Weber did a, an instant analysis a little bit later with Keila Yore, uh, two of them on that Wednesday, one from practice with Dan, one from the uh, press conference with me, and uh, there's, you know, some information there, but those are the only ones. So I'll try to address some of the recruiting stuff here um, that, you know, some of the questions that you guys have had. And we'll do another tunnel vision. Sorry, it's just tough with the, the holidays and travel and everything to, to get all that done. Um, let's go to a, this is a food analogy email uh, from our buddy. Who is this from, from 1977 Trojan he says, Hey Ryan, I have a food analogy for you. Here goes. Right after the January, 2017 Rose bowl, the USC's USC Trojans were like a great piece of cheese. The past three years has seen it become moldy and dehydrated and it suffered from severe neglect by coaches and administrators. It may be time to toss it and get some fresh cheese from Trader Joe's. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to Ryan, Keeley, Dan, Gerard, and Coach Hyde. Fight on as always, 1977 Trojan. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there was a pretty much a high point right there after the Rose Bowl. Uh, there was a low point at the beginning of that season when the team was 1-3, and three, winning nine in a row, winning the Rose Bowl, uh, certainly a high point. But then after that, you're right, it was uh It's been kind of moldy cheese and you've, I think fans felt that the cheese was going to be thrown away a couple of times and was not. And for right now, you're keeping the cheese. So we'll see. I don't, I don't anticipate the cheese getting a lot better, but, uh, that's, I don't know, interesting analogy though. Thanks for sending that one in. We got a text from uh, our buddy Marcel in the Inland Empire. Do you think you guys play a role in recruiting and us having the most negative fan base in college football? Marcel and the IE. This is, this comes up a bunch. Um, I would definitely not say that USC is the most negative fan base in college football. I think it's unfortunate the situation that USC is in because you have a blue blood program that the nation feels is a blue blood program, that the fan base feels is a blue blood program, but the administration has not acted like a blue blood program. They've hired people for very important jobs at a very, you know, highly ranked athletic department that wouldn't have been hired by anyone else in the Power Five. Uh, no one would have hired Clay Helton to be their head coach in the Power Five. Not not a single team would have hired Clay Helton when USC hired Clay Helton. Probably not a team would have kept Clay Helton after five and seven, um, and USC did. No one would have hired a, a guy like Pat Hayden to be the athletic director, and that was a disaster. No one would have hired, certainly, Lynn Swan. Um, you could make some arguments for Hayden. No one would do it. Lynn Swan, so USC continues to act like they're not a blue blood program. So I would say it's not the, the fans being there. The fans see the reality of it and they, it's hard for them to understand. Like why should they care when you're not seeing the same sort of, you know, um, passion from the administration that you're seeing, uh, from USC fan base. So I wouldn't say it's that. As far as us playing a role, I mean, we're, what we're trying to do is be Objective: We can't get involved in the recruiting process. Some people like, oh, are you going to tell that prospect how cool USC is? Like, no, we can't do that. We sign stuff that we can't do. That. We, we can't get involved in the recruiting process. We can only uh report on it and comment on it. Now, if we're saying things that are like, hey, Clay Hilton should be fired, or but I mean, I, I think we have to be objective, and we have an obligation to our readers and the people that listen to us to to tell you what we really think. If we think that Clay Helton should have been hired or should be fired. And we don't tell you because we're afraid that that might hurt recruiting. Like we're not doing our job. Our job isn't to recruit that. I mean, the coaches have to do that. That's, that's what they do. Not what we do. Um, I, I, if we were trying to be negative for the sake of being negative, we probably wouldn't just go away. People would stop reading us all the time. What we try to do is be objective and have that objective, uh, voice. And, you know, the fan base is the fan base. The problem is, Fans can be crazy, stands for fanatic, but you you can't argue with the fans in this case. Like they've been basically kicked in the ribs for the last few years and they're tired of it. So the administration, you know, they knew there was going to be a huge backlash. Maybe they didn't think it was going to be this bad, uh, but it's hard to blame the fan. Do I want them to be, get personal and say things like, you know, about USC leadership, about, you know, personally about them? That, you know, no, I mean, you can criticize their jobs. They get paid a lot of money to do that stuff. I wouldn't want to see it get personal. I don't like when people tweet at recruits about anything, positive or negative. So if you're tweeting recruits and saying, you know, come to USC or don't come to USC, I don't like any of that either. That can potentially be an NCAA violation. So, um, yeah, Marcel, I think, you know, our job here is to report on what, what's going on and we're not going to, you know, blow smoke up your butt and tell you, Everything's going great, uh when it obviously is not. Um, this is from Don about recruiting. Uh per quotes from several recruits this year and last year, USC apparently doesn't recruit as hard as they should. Is Helton and his staff lazy, out of touch? Really don't believe SC is good enough to recruit the top high school players? Or is it the the Helton culture in which he quote just doesn't get it? Are these impeachable offenses? Is Helton abusing his power? Is Helton a Trojan traitor? Hey Don, no, so this is one of those examples of you don't like the job that Clay Helton's doing and you need to take it to like another level. Like he's a trader. Like it's hard to blame Clay Helton for doing what he's, you know, he's doing his best, but that's why you hire people that are really good at what they do. Cause when they do their best, it's going to be great. Clay Helton's doing his best and it's not great, but that's who Clay Helton is. Um, I don't think there's an abuse of power there. I, I think he's trying he doesn't, he's not, doesn't want to lose. He's not a UCLA fan or a Notre Dame fan or something. He wants to win. He just was not that great of his job. You know, I could be the best person in the world and you hired me to be a chef at a, a five-star French restaurant and I try my hardest. Like, holy crap, I got this great opportunity, but I'm just not that good of a chef. I can do some things. Here's a great grilled cheese or something, but I'm just not that good at it. I, I think this is the same sort of thing. doesn't mean I'm a jerk or a traitor that I'm not taking this five-star restaurant to the next level. I should have never have been hired to be the chef. And in my opinion, Clay Helton should have never been hired uh, to be the head coach. As far as this, I don't think the staff is lazy. He's, But he did hire some, there's people on his staff that aren't uh passionate recruiters. I don't know, but it's lazy. It's just like they don't, they're more NFL people. They don't really care about recruiting as much. They don't work that hard at it. Look at what Oregon does. They work really hard at it. So that's going to, to me, it's going to come back. Are you going to blame Clancy Pendergast for not recruiting all that hard? Um, that's who he is, you know. Do you, should that be, should he be a college coordinator in this day and age when you have to be recruiting 365 days a year? Probably not. Should, on this staff, for sure. Um, USC needs way better recruiters. Uh, you're missing guys like T. Martin who are no longer around that were really good. Um, here's a transfer portal question. We had a couple of them actually. Uh, Ryan, I'm trying to remain optimistic, but it's getting hard. Maybe I'm just grasping at straws now. Anyway. I had previously asked a question about getting JC transfers or players from the portal to meet our needs after December 18th. Now let me add to that question. One of your broadcasts mentioned uh, that 11 Stanford players have entered the portal. Actually, I think it's 13 now. Who are they? And uh, could you see us getting any of them? They used to be a great recruiting offensive lineman. Thanks to fight on Gary class of 75. We also had one from Michael from Newport who said, um, I think our class is all but solidified. Do we have any indication of, Transfer portal or grad transfer additions to our roster for next year. Fight on beat the Hawkeyes. That's from Michael. Um, yeah, so Stanford about, I think about half of those guys, Gary specifically, uh, were contributors, starters. I don't have the list in front of me. I'm, I'm you know, I'm getting the specific stuff. This isn't going to happen now. This will be a little down the road. Now, I know one of them was one, uh, the tight end, uh, but you also had Colby Parkinson declare for the draft. So I forget the backup, the tight end's name, but he might come back. So there, I think there's still some guys that could come back to Stanford. Their recruiting class was actually pretty good. I think one of those things where USC is going to have to finish up February, see which needs are made, are met, and then you look at things in that situation. Could you bring in some guys for the spring? Um, there's going to be a lot of potential guys in the portal, and it's not just Stanford players. There's guys from all over the country. You see a guy like Akili Ross who uh, ends up at UTEP, uh, and was a potential starter at USC. I think outside of the big, you know, Justin Fields and like the huge names, um, there's going to be some good names. And it depends where USC needs somebody. Could they use a running back? Or I mean, obviously a left tackle would be uh, ideal, if, especially you know if an Austin Jackson goes. So I think they need to kind of assess after the uh, guys leave for the NFL, see who leaves there. Some guys from USC will enter the transfer portal, most likely. And then, you know, who can you sign in February and then go from there? So uh, we won't get into specifics about that, but I think it's certainly going to be an option. All right, Kevin, class of 2008. Hey, Ryan and team, assuming SC moves on from uh, John Baxter and Clancy Pendergast after the Holiday Bowl, who are possible targets for next season? Or are the assistant jobs not attractive because of the stability issues surrounding Coach Helton? Thanks and fight on. Kevin class of Oh eight. Yeah. So, you know, that's a lot of the rumor is about that. There's going to be coaching changes made and the most likely candidates would be John Baxter and uh, Clancy Pendergast. Um, You know, if I had to bet at this point, you're, you're probably onto something, Kevin, that those guys won't be around who I'm not sure who the targets are going to be. That's going to be very curious to see which, you know, what Clay Helton can do, who not only who he can get, but who he's going to target. Um, going to get a uh, Cliff Kingsbury was pretty much outside the norm of what Clay Helton would normally do. And then when he left, you had to you bring in a Graham Harrell. Um, you know, keep you know, and Graham Harrell's a, a you know he was a he's a hot coach now because of what he was able to do at USC. But he was fairly uh, you know he was an interesting prospect when he was after three years at North Texas, and he came to a situation where he knew. I think that's a situation where he knew he's confident in what he could do. And then, you know, he knew he was going to have talent at USC. So even if Clay Houghton got fired, it wouldn't look bad on him because he's going to do his job. So I think it's one of those situations where if you could get a good defensive coordinator, is he going to say, all right, well, there's a lot of talent here. I can do my job. And if it's a, you know, people talk about like a Jack Del Rio or something. Is it someone like that caliber who thinks, Clay Helton might get fired halfway through the season and I could take over. Now, people have been waiting for Clay Helton to get fired for quite a while, and that hasn't happened. But certainly there could be an attractiveness there where you feel like you are a great candidate to be the interim head coach. Who would be the interim head coach if something happens to Clay Helton? Like we said, we've been waiting for that to happen, and it hasn't. Uh, but interim head coaches have done pretty well at USC. You're seeing Coach Ogeron, uh doing a great job at LSU. But when you get that opportunity, it's like you're given the keys to the castle. And I, I think that could be an attractiveness of it. If you feel like, Hey, uh, I'm going to do a kick-ass job. And if there is a situation where they need someone to, to fill in, I'm here. And uh, so I, I think there's still some attractiveness to it. Uh, the fact that they, you know, if, I think if you would come to a team that was five and seven and a coach on the hot seat, it's probably easier to come to a team that was eight and four and a coach on the hot seat and probably going to be the favorite to win the Pac-12 South. So uh, we'll see, Kevin, we'll kind of keep uh, uh, an eye on all that. Um, I expect something to happen after the bowl game uh, on that front, so we'll see what uh, USC does, what Kalei Helton does, Mike and that whole group, and uh, where they go from there. All right, let's see. Uh, this is uh, for Ryan. I'm anxiously awaiting to hear how Curtis from Moreno Valley is going to make himself be right about recruiting as it relates to retaining Helton after early signing day. Uh Well, here you go, because we have a voicemail from Curtis uh from Moreno Valley. So I will play that one for you right now.
2: Curtis from Moreno Valley. So this is the worst recruiting class of all time for USC. Well, I'm not shocked. They didn't announce they were keeping Clay Health until about a week ago. That gave all the student athletes about a week to figure things out. How stupid. Also, Matt Liner has the nerve to pile on calling Oregon the new USC in recruiting? What the hell is wrong with you, homeboy? What happened to you recruiting Urban Meyer? You announced that a year ago. I guess you not a good recruiter either because he ain't coming. Everybody thought he was. Everybody on the peristyle still talks about Urban Meyer. Don't you guys get it? He don't want to coach at USC. He don't want to coach no more. Why do you think uh, um Matt Liner doesn't ever talk about Urban Meyer coaching at USC? Reggie Bush doesn't talk about it anymore because that mess is over. Get over it. Let's move on. Get what we need out of the transfer portal. Curtis from Moreno Valley.
1: All right, Curtis. Thanks for the voicemail. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you on the first aspect where, why did USC wait so long to retain Helton? And I think that comes back to another bumble by the administration. You either needed to know you're going into it like, hey, we're going to keep them. So you should have said something right after the UCLA game. And if you weren't going to keep them, you should have moved on as well. So I think it took them 11 days. Uh, I get that the, the athletic department's a mess and you have new people in there and they're trying to figure things out. But that was time that USC didn't have to lose. Now, would this class be significantly better um, if they would have fired Clay Helton or, or I'm sorry, retained Clay Helton right after the UCLA game? It would be better. Um, it probably wouldn't be last in the Pac-12. I'll tell you that. Um, and they would have, you know, maybe had a better shot at guys like Justin Flo and switching a Bryce Young and things like that. So, uh, Curtis, no, I think that's a, a good point. That's a screw up. But there's been so many screw ups in the athletic department. Um, it's that's, you know, I think that's a minor one. As far as like Matt Leinert tweeting, um, you know, about what he's doing, I mean, he would text me and talk about things. I mean, I've had a lot of former players call me, text me, uh, other <laughs> trophy winners. They're not happy. Um, so I, I don't blame him for, for saying what he's doing. As far as recruiting Urban Meyer, uh, I, I think, you know, he's someone that's around Urban Meyer a lot. I, I, I will say this, if, Urban Meyer does want to return to coaching. And if USC was an option, whatever Matt Leinart said to him uh, was helpful and not hurtful. So we don't know. And I, I don't think we, I mean, Urban Meyer doesn't have a coaching job yet. He might be two years in the booth and then uh, come down to coaching or he might never go back. We don't know. Um, so I wouldn't write off that yet, but it would have been, you know, for USC, this would have been the perfect time. Maybe it's not the perfect time for him. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say you know to move on from that. And Curtis wants to get guys from transfer portal as well. Uh, we'll see. It worked for Illinois. Just seems like very strange for USC to have to use that as a strategy. But you know that's where USC is right now. This one's from Don. Uh, how must Mike Bone? How must excuse me? How must Mike Bone feel to hear his head coach say, "quote We had a good day," when they have become the joke in college football. Mr. Bone is looking worse every day. Great bowl game. Recruiting class will finish strong. On a purely professional note, nothing personal. How can the media respect Helton and Bone, Don? So, Don, uh, this is not a personal thing. Um, we're not a, we're not fans. We respect them because they're you know they they have jobs, they get paid well, and they have roles to play, and we have roles to play. We are it, we don't take things personally. We'll be critical. I mean, I liked Mike Bone. I got to sit with him at the uh at the basketball game, second basketball game of the year, and chat court side, He was very friendly. And, but I've been very critical of some of the decisions he's made. Some of the things he said, I think that it came from a place where he was trying to make things better, but didn't quite fully understand the situation, asking the fans to just be fans when not realizing what these fans have gone through. Um, you know, it's sort of like you just came, you know, you're, you're crawling. The fans have crawled through the desert, without food or water for weeks and you finally find an oasis and you know, you get there and they ask you like, well, you know, they're asking you to do some like physical labor before they're going to give you a drink of water. You're like, look, I've already been through hell. Like I, I just need a drink of water right now. And when they the fans weren't getting the drink of water, it's like Mike Bone was asking, you know, like questioning them. like, am like, well, you know, why aren't you doing what we're asking of you? They've been through so much. They've, they've already done this. They need, they needed that light at the end of the tunnel. They needed that oasis. And what they, it was, it, it was a mirage when they got there and, uh, they still are stuck with Clay Helton. So I, I think asking them to just kind of, you know, buck up and be fans was the wrong approach. And I also think him trying to sell it where he went on the Annenberg uh, interview and saying things like, you know, where he kind of criticized the fans, but also saying there was four, uh, you know, silent commits and all that, like, That was sort of coming from you could probably tell like the old booster that doesn't really follow recruiting and stuff every day. And you're one on one with him like, oh, we got some recruits coming. Don't worry, it's going to be great. And that makes him feel good. And he goes home and writes a bigger check or something like, hey, that's fine. You can't tell really informed fans how good this, rec- this recruiting class is way better than anyone's giving it credit for. And they got four silent commits and all that when it's not true, because now you're going to get called on. It. Now you look terrible. And, and, and I also, Don, I don't agree with the way Clay Helton addressed it. I think he needs to say something like, um, you know, we really needed some linemen. I like the guys we got. I think there's a the guys that want to be Trojans, but we did you know, we need to do a better job. We have to double our efforts. We have to, recruit even harder because there was guys out there we wanted and we weren't able to get. And I know that, you know, that it's a crazy situation right now. That's on us. Uh, we need to make sure this message is getting across because this is a great place and a great place to play football. And one of the best programs in the country, that's our job to portray that to recruit something to, to at least acknowledge that it wasn't a good day. You don't have to say we sucked, but you have to, you can't say it was great when it's not. So, uh yeah, I think there's a lot of uh of issues. We also have one where he says, Is it possible you guys can interview Harold instead of Helton? Harold's honest, whereas Helton is very insecure. Harold's sure of himself, Helton is always hiding the truth. Uh I wouldn't say this is also from Don. I wouldn't say he's hiding the truth. I think he's putting a positive spin on things, and that's just the way he is. He's always going to be that way. Um you know, and, and I think Harold does that to agree, too, but he's you know, he's not responsible for the entire program. He's gonna tell you what he's doing and his group is performing well. So there's less to quote unquote hide when he's talking, than you know, if you're Clay Helton and you it's a bad recruiting class or the turnovers are terrible or, um, you know, the penalties are bad. And those are things you said you were going to work on. You're going to try to spin it in a, in a better light. So, uh, but we do interview. I mean, I just, I did an interview with him last week and put the whole, it was like a 12 minute video I put up there on screen, but you know, Clay Helton's going to be the guy that addresses uh, the main stuff. Uh, let's see. This is, uh, Paul class of 71. He's in Vegas. On a personal note, you guys, all of you have performed abnormally through this season. And in particularly this postseason. there's obviously been a lot of venom thrown around by passionate fans. Unfortunately, you being the messenger, uh, to the oftentimes bad news, some of the venom gets spewed your way. You're just doing your job professionally. Most of us recognize that and appreciate it. Uh, These are interesting times for the program. Don't take any of this personally. I was a journalist once. As you said today, your job is not to change things. Just report it. Keep up the good work no matter where this goes. Paul from Vegas, Class of 71. Well, thanks, Paul. Yeah, it's mean, it's all part of the job. It's funny when we'll get threads on the Paris dollar tweets um, about how negative you are. Let it go. Like if I tweet something like, okay, so I tweeted something this week where I wanted to know, you know, we knew USC was last in the Pac-12. I was like, I wonder where the power five. So it's pretty easy to look up, you know, USC, as far as power five recruiting teams go, USC out of 65 teams. So there's 64 in the power five plus Notre Dame uh, in the power five conferences, Um, 64 teams total plus Notre Dame at 65. USC is ranked 64th out of 65. They're about one point ahead of Missouri who fired their coach and lost a bunch of recruits at the end, or at least a few. That Missouri would have been higher. So it's almost the last, you know, it's certainly the, the the worst class in power five of a team that kept their coach. um, And it's, you know, it's bad. It's just, it's just bad. There's nothing else you can really say. So I'll tweet something like that. And then people are like, you're beating a dead horse. You're, I'm like, well, no, this is kind of, new. I, I didn't know. I was curious, like if they would have been 40th out of 65, it would have been like, okay. So, you know, they're last in Pac-12, but they're actually ahead of a bunch of other power five teams. Well, they weren't they're pretty much last in the power five as well. So that was information. I didn't know. I didn't see it written anywhere. I don't feel like it was beating a dead horse. It was something I wanted to, to research and pass along. And I did. And then there's other people there are saying that we're being way too nice and we should be like uh, grilling the coaches and stuff. And it doesn't work like that either. I mean, I asked Clay Helton a tough question right out of the gate about why he didn't sign any of the top 25 players in California. I mean, now was his answer what the fans wanted to hear? No. He just kind of said, we got the guys we needed, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was, he was putting that positive spin on it, but that's what we have to do. So we kind of get it from both sides where people think you're being too negative or you're being too soft on these guys. Um, we're just trying to be down the middle, try to be objective, tell you exactly how we feel. I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything. I'm not trying to make things worse than they are. I don't, I'm not making stuff up. Um, you know, you, you see people in relationships where someone's mad at the other one and, say you're an hour late where they're only a half hour late, like you're making it worse than it actually was. That's not what we're doing here. So, But thanks for that question. This is from Trojan99 Army-Navy game. Ryan, I just heard the recommendation from John that the Coliseum should host the Army-Navy game. As an Army veteran and USC alumnus, I would love the opportunity to be able to watch the game at the Coliseum. I would even go back to renewing my Trojan Athletic Fund membership if it would guarantee me tickets to the game. I'll bring this up with my rep, but it would be great if you guys could work on the administration and getting this rolling, by the way, this is a comment I've heard on the podcast. Oh, this is the best comment I've heard on the podcast the past few weeks. Thanks, Trojan99. Um, really not something I can work on. I can ask some people like, hey, have you guys even thought about this? Um, but it's not really, you know, my uh, expertise as far as like trying to light up games in the Coliseum. But I can ask around a little bit and see if that's something that would even be feasible. But thanks for that question. And uh, glad that was your favorite comment. All right. This next one is about Graham Harrell. Christian from Duck Country, I was thinking, was it smart for him to re-sign with USC? Let's say it doesn't work out after next season. Do you think USC fans would be okay with having Graham Harrell at the helm? I'd love to know your thoughts. Thanks, guys. P.S. Shout out to all the Spotify listeners. Um, no, I think it's smart for Graham Harrell. I mean, he was in a good situation. He's got a great quarterback. He's got awesome talent around him. It's a, yeah, is it the, um, you know, does he have the best head coach to learn from? You could argue no, but. He could potentially be, there's not really anyone on the staff right now that's as a great candidate to take over if something does happen. His offense is already proven to be better. Uh, they were a top five passing offense this year with him at the helm. He showed his improvement, So I think it makes sense. Now he could have got a lot more money at Texas, but it's sort of similar situation there. I think it would be under more scrutiny at Texas, even though you go home. No, I think it's a good situation for him. He helped his stock. He, he raised his level as far as. Who would want to hire Graham Harrell? I don't think Texas was going to hire Graham Harrell last year. Texas is one of them this year. He has another year at USC, uh, developing Slovis who could turn into a potential Heisman candidate. Um, no matter what the team does, if the offense is good, uh, for the most part, then I think, you know, he just improves his own stock. So it's really like him doing his job on a much bigger stage. He was sort of like the, I love the, the food analogies, but he was like the, the star chef at a really small restaurant. That someone discovered and now he's at a big one in Manhattan and, uh, everyone want, you know, people are going to want him now. So I think him sticking around, even if the restaurant, you know, uh, the stability there isn't all that great. He's still doing his job well and the food is still great. So even if you don't like the service and, um, you know, whatever, like the, it, it, I think him being that master chef has proven what he can do and he's got some great talent. So it's going to be, I think he likes who he's working with. David class of 2016, uh recent grad. Congrats, David. Um, he says, four star offensive tackle, Frank Martin. Uh, he really helped our, the 2016 recruiting class a few years back. Any updates on if he would live up to the hype? Yeah. So Frank Martin hasn't really, uh, broken into the rotation at all. Uh, in the spring, when there had a bunch of guys hurt, he was doing some first team reps, if I'm remembering correctly. I just haven't heard. Much about them, and it's really tough for us now. One, we don't get to watch practice anymore, but two, even when we do, uh, the, the offensive linemen are pretty far away, but I've not heard from any sources like, hey, watch out for Frank Martin. Like, you know, for like a Liam Jimmins and stuff, we're hearing things and then he started getting up there in the rotation. We haven't heard that yet. Now you, you're going to lose, you know, you could potentially lose a couple guys. Will Frank Martin, you know, be in the mix? You know, ju- you know, Drew Richmond going to be gone. Is Austin Jackson going to be gone? Couple, they need some tackle help. Um, he's moved around a little bit, played tackle in high school. So, I don't know. We'll see uh, if he's able to uh, contribute more. And, you know, maybe they make a change. An offensive line coach, too. We don't know. I mean, there could be – there's a lot of potential of what could be going on. Uh, this is Helton Power. Ryan, a popular view is that Urban Meyer and similar winning coaches want too much power for USC to hire them. Helton was told to change his staff and culture by an athletic director. He did not, and the AD was fired. New athletic director wanted Helton fired. Helton was not. AD will probably be gone before Helton. I think he's talking about Mike Bone. The AD insists on coaching changes. Helton makes none. Well, that's not true. He did make some changes last year just to make wholesale changes. Helton is his self-serving way, has considerable power, the good guy persona, which is a fraud, and he has deceived most of the media and the administration. Helton has considerable power. Media just not, uh, doesn't perceive it as such. Don, um, Don, I would, I would disagree with that. I think Hilton is, I mean, there's power there. He's the USC head coach. He's very agreeable and he's going to play the nice guy card a lot. I don't think that's a fraud. He's a good, you know, he's a good guy. He's a good person. He'll give the game ball to, you know, coach bone and uh, miss Fultz or miss Carroll or whatever. Uh, I forget what he called her. Uh, the AD and president. I, I think that's all true but he's taking advantage of the people that have been hired around him, where he wasn't really qualified. He was not qualified to be the head coach at USC. Neither athletic director were qualified. The fact that he's been there through, this is his third athletic director is baffling. I think if USC had a competent athletic director, Clay Helton wouldn't be, probably wouldn't have never never been the head coach, but he certainly certainly would be the head coach now. And that's what people wanted Mike Bone to do. But, I think Clay Elton was put in a, the right place at the right time. He can do just enough that it's like, you know, he's, he's not pushing anyone's buttons. He's not asking people for the moon and making demands and all that stuff. He's just going about his job and doing it and trying to keep his job. And they don't have anyone strong around him that can do that. So I wouldn't say that he's got considerable power that he's pulling all the strings He's in the right spot at the right time, and no one around him really knows what they're doing, and that's why he survived. That's my opinion. So I wouldn't say as has considerable power. I mean, he has power because he's the head coach at USC, but it's not like he's going in there and saying, here's what I want this, I want this. He's going along with whatever the administration is saying, but the administration is terrible, and they don't know what they're doing either. So um, if it was a really good, you had a really great athletic director, say instead of, uh, you know, after Pat Hayden, they didn't hire Lin Swan. They hired someone really good. He wouldn't have got an extension. You wouldn't be in this mess right now. So if you wanted to fire him after five and seven, there wouldn't have been any reason to keep him that, that Lin Swan had to. So I think it's less about him having this tremendous power and more about the incompetence that's all around him. Uh, all right. Let's see. Oh, Curtis from Marino Valley also wrote in. He said, Cliff Kingsbury was hired by USC as an offensive coordinator last year. Uh, with his very first coordinator change, Clay Helton, uh, had USC willing to pay the cash. They got the best def- they've got the best offensive coordinator in NCAA football before anyone else. And then after a five and seven season and being a lame duck coach for the next season, so he's a great recruiter that's proven by this hire. Then how to the ha- handle the next hire in a short time span? Uh, please believe if he hires just a new defensive coordinator, or special teams coach, I believe he will hire the best DC he can get in the country. The defense will be nasty. Uh, maybe so good. The NFL will steal a new coordinator in a few days, just like, uh, Cliff Kingsbury. You guys never give him credit for this or discuss those possibilities for new coordinators next season. You probably won't read this on the podcast. It's too positive for you, Ryan. You would never play this voicemail curse from Marino Valley. Um, and he also wants to know, Hey, answer this question. USC fans. Are you hoping for USC to win the PAC 12 and make the playoff next season? Like I am sadly, I doubt it. Think about that for a minute. Curse from Marino Valley. Um, Kirst, you, I guess the fans can answer your second part, but for me, yeah, I think that I, you give credit for the, a good offensive coordinator hire and Clay Helton being able to step away. And I think it was a perfect situation where Cliff Kingsbury was out there, gets fired by Texas Tech and was a hot name. And it was a per, you know, I think it just worked out really well. We haven't seen him go out outside of Dylan McCullough and just go out and get somebody that's good from somewhere. Um, and just hire someone. Now this, I think that's the thing that kind of fell into his lap. And then going out and get a Graham Harrell, it was good. It was a great, you know, follow up. You, you hired one guy and this is basically like the same thing. Another Texas Tech quarterback, another offensive coordinator, another Mike Leach guy. I mean, it was sort of the great situation. The, the question was going to be, who do you get after that? If, if Graham would have left, there's no easy candidate after that. But yes, I think that was a hire that was necessary. That was the best thing that Clay Helton did. The problem is he needed to make more of those changes. He felt like, I can make this change and that's going to be enough. And it wasn't enough. And so you're setting your program back by not making changes after 2017, uh the Cotton Bowl. You knew there was problems then, but you don't make changes. And then you're forced to after five and seven. And you're forced to again. And, and now you're going to be forced to again. He's going to make you know some big changes again these are all could have been done two, three years ago. Like you could see it. And, uh, so that's, to me, that's a problem with Clay Helton that, you know, you shouldn't have this many chances to fail and then, okay, well, we'll do it. now. We'll do it right this time. Like, Oh, do it wrong. Fail, do it wrong. Fail, change a little bit, still fail, change a little bit more, still fail. It's like, no, I mean, you, at the one point you just have to be able to see what's going wrong and change it all and fix it. Um, but because of the incompetence in the athletic department, you're getting a lot more chances, I think, than uh, than you would say. And if he, he could make a great defensive coordinator hire, I'm curious to see what he does. Will it be a, a defensive coordinator that makes demands, though, and says, "Hey, by the way, we're tackling in practice," uh, and, and will you know, will that be a, a you know impediment for Clay Helton hiring someone? I'm not sure. We'll see. It could be an obstacle, uh, maybe not. But we got a a, a picture. So this, I d- don't know who put this in here uh, It was for the army Navy game. It was, uh, uh, one of our listeners with urban Meyer. Um, so very cool. Thanks for sending that one. And so he was in Philadelphia for the army Navy game. So I think they saw that on there, but thanks for sending that picture. It was very cool. Um, John in Oakland, This was pretty long. I had to like, uh, delete a little bit of stuff, but he says, uh, this is John Oakley said, uh, Hey, Ryan, you want a rather ballistic rant over my last email where I stated I thought that Clay Hilton had improved this season over 2018. Um, I think, John, to be fair, I think you were talking about he improved throughout the season. I think that's what it was. You improved. uh I, It sounds like you were saying he was improved, if I remember correctly, improved um, as his you know, tenure went on. But the maybe you were starting from 2018. Maybe you are starting from 5 and 7 and saying now he's improved from that which would be almost impossible not to do. Uh, but he said, last week, John Willner of San Jose Mercury News, who covers the whole Pac-12, and I believe you know very well, wrote a season-ending season ending evaluation of all the Pac-12 head coaches. And he said, um, this season was Helton's finest coaching job. His time at USC, he gave Helton a B- and wrote, credit where it's due. Helton produced the finest coaching job of his tenure. That determination considers not only the injuries, but also the decision to hire Graham Harrell and deploy a version of The air raid, at the same time BYU loss and the Oregon wipeout and the baffling game management and the endless penalties, the lack of discipline, has been a fixture of the Helton Air, undercut any thought of a higher grade. Okay, so those are a lot of negatives he wrote in there. uh, So that's what I'm talking about. He said, despite all the stumbling and bubbling, Trojans have a significant advantage in personnel over all but a few teams on their schedule. Who else has a tailback like Keenan Christian on the fourth string? While not a ringing endorsement for giving help in the contract extension, it does seem enough to justify a new age decision to not fire a coach or doing a decent job. Uh, okay, John, so I'll stop there. You had a whole bunch of other stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, no, I, I mean, I like John a lot. I disagree with him there. I would give him a, you know, I think the good things that happened were that they didn't give up, that they kept fighting, but their personnel advantage isn't over all but a few teams. It's over all teams. Like they have better players than everybody. And they've done that for the last two years, and they still lost 11 games. That is unacceptable. And all those things you're talking about, like, how can you say this is if his best coaching job includes includes a loss to a bad BYU team, loss on the road to Washington that wasn't that good, um, you know, getting wiped out, absolutely wiped out by Oregon at home, terrible game management, endless penalties, you know, lack of discipline, all of that stuff, like you're saying that is his best coaching job. Well, what are you comparing that to then? If I'll give you say it is his best coaching job, they still have all those problems that you know, that's not what you want. You're the the skinniest fat guy in the group. Like, I I don't get that. So those are a lot of issues. And he's had five years to fix all those things and he hasn't done it. Um it's been great to get Graham Harrell, but that's basically you get someone to do their job that's good and let them do it. He's been reluctant to do that. And the, the staff turnover has just been slow and, ch- you know, I'm curious to see what kind of staff turnover you get this time, but you gotta bring in more outside people, people that you're not familiar with. And even a Graham Harrell, uh, he's great. He's young. I think, you know, uh, a Cliff Kingsbury would have been a little bit different. Curious to see what that would be like. If you get an experienced defensive coordinator, they're gonna come in and try to make some changes too, where Graham Harrell's like, hey, this is what I wanna do. Uh, but he hasn't been around the block all that much. So curious to see where this goes. Uh, he also said if the new AD had been in place for the whole season, maybe he or she would have seen enough to fire Helton. I do agree with that. Do you think that USC intentionally held off on firing Swan until after the university had finished the Coliseum renovation and had the big dedication event in August? Uh, I don't think that was part of it. I mean, I, there was, we had some other questions too, where, and thanks for the question, John. Um, yeah, they, I think they could have pushed the envelope more as far as making bigger changes faster. Um, could, uh, the, you know, could they have got rid of Lindswan faster? Yes. Could they have hired a, you know, Mike Bowen or somebody like that faster? Yes. The, if you could have sped up the timeline, you might have been able to fix this season. I think that things just happened so late, um, that that was a real issue. Our friend Joan wrote in, and uh, I love this when people say, uh, it's going to be a short, email and it's, uh, it's not. So I I cut it down a little bit, but she says, Hey guys, I'm going to try to not say too much, Ryan, LOL. And then she says a lot. I would call, but I'm so angry and I hate being angry. Let's start with a word that Fulton bone throw around integrity, all caps. And this is why I am so mad. I think it disrupts what my father instilled in me and told me. And she quotes, if you do not have your integrity, you have nothing. It's definition, adherence to moral and ethical principles soundless, sound, I'm sorry, soundness of moral character, honesty, Folt, Folt, Bone, and Bone have zero. They lied to us. They duped us. They made themselves into clowns and fools in a short span of a few months and two weeks. Now, see, Joan, we don't want to get personal with this stuff. Uh, you're getting a little personal here. Folt was supposed to make changes everywhere, especially in the athletic department. And that is and was riddled with scandal and despots. She and Bone need to clean house, but it's simply business as usual. She brought in Bone, who said he was going to listen, learn, and then act. Excuse me? He retained Helton, promoted someone from within to Donna Heinel's old position, and nothing else. He even had the audacity to have someone rewrite rewrite Swan's letter last year saying that, don't worry, I'm going to work with Helton on football. We don't even owe you. Who the heck are you to put yourself in a coach's job? You're supposed to run the athletic department. I fear we'll get crushed by a lot of the big, big Ten team, which will make it worse. We don't even have to talk about Bama yet. This isn't going away. Happy holidays to all of you and all the podcasts and USCFootball.com subscribers. Uh, Joan, thanks Joan for writing in. Um, again, yeah, I wouldn't get too personal there, but you're, you're right. I think there's, I feel like both careful and Mike Bone want to make changes, but I don't want to do, I don't, I feel like they don't want to do the wrong thing. I think it's pretty obvious what needed to be done to, to most everyone out there, USC fans and, uh, I feel like there's some fear of not coming in and, and, you know, having to make these big changes right away. But that's, you know, a lot of those failures from the last 10 years are sort of like thrown their plate and you're asked to like, hey, do a whole bunch in this short amount of time. And I think people are afraid of making like the wrong decision. Now, I think they've made the wrong decision by not making the obvious ones. I think Lin Swan could have been gone faster, like I said. Um, I don't think it's going to continue to be business as usual and, Mike Bone is going to have his right-hand man, Brandon Sosna, coming out now too. So he's just started. Uh, he's helped them a lot at Cincinnati. I think his messaging, from what I've heard from Cincinnati people, is really good. And I think Mike Bone's messaging so far has not been good. So if Mike Bone's messaging gets a lot better going forward, that's probably because uh Brandon Sosna is, is around, I'm guessing. But the messaging hasn't been great. And I think... Mike Bones tried, he's tried to do a lot. Um, but when you, you're hearing some of the things he was saying, you just have to like scratch your head and it just, it just, it was, uh, it fell a lot of deaf ears. The fan base was pretty upset from some of the things he said. So does that change? Um, maybe this, you know, they would really love to get a win in the bowl game to kind of buy some time. Because time is something they haven't had. Um Carol Fultz has had a billion problems to deal with throughout the university. The athletic department being one of them and uh it's it's not got better uh, since, since either of them got here. so thanks Joan for that.' Keep your chin up hopefully uh, you get what you wish for this Christmas. <laughs> uh, we got a couple more and I'll wrap it up. Hey Ryder team I have one question for you. Has anyone reached out to Mike Bowen to get him on the show? might be an idea, idea for him for the USC fans to hear his vision for USC. Thanks and keep fighting on um so you know, thanks for the question. Yeah so I've actually you know we've been in contact. Uh, I think it's a really tough situation for him, um, right now, but I, I think there's someone we can get on, uh, in the off season. I've been in touch with, uh, you know, the, the people high up in the athletic department. I think it's something that can happen. It just really wasn't a great time right now. And I think, you know, early in the new year or something, that might be a great situation where everyone things kind of settle down and, uh, we can get Mike Bone in and talk to him about him. maybe it's a tunnel vision. Maybe it's a podcast here, uh, but something like that. He's been open, uh, when he was at Cincinnati to talking. He, I think he knows he's not a very popular figure right now, but, uh, yeah, that's, I, I like that. And that, that's something we are going to set up. So we, I think we are starting off. Okay. I, you know, I don't think he appreciates that, you know, we've been really critical of him. And I think early on it was like, Hey, everything was cool. Um, and you know, to be fair, like we've been very critical of him. I'm sure he's, you know, would rather us not be, but I think, you know, he'll respect the fact that we're going to be honest and try to be very fair to him and to everyone else that we cover. So, uh, I think things will settle down and we'll be able to get him on and it'd be, you know, curious to see what he has to say. Last one from Jerry. Ryan, any info on a rumor that a quote, very inside source commented that Carol Fold has a long game to remove football from USC athletics due to the potential for serious injury not being in the best interest of students uh, regards from Jerry. Okay. So, I mean, uh, this is just funny that you would write something like this, a very inside source. Like you don't say who that source is. You don't say where you heard it from. Was it a tweet? Was it a message board post? Was there anything? You just say something random, like Carol Fult wants to get rid of USC football. Um, that just seems so out of left field and so wrong, but there, you know, People are making stuff up. They're just trying to like justify things. I have no idea. They, they don't, if they don't like what Carol Fult did, now she's the devil and wants to uh, get rid of USC football, which never heard anything like that. Makes no sense. Um, I usually don't like to address the random rumor. So if you're going to do something like that, if it's like some I mean, if it's a common knowledge thing, like this is something I would not consider common knowledge, you could say, this reporter tweeted that, or this prominent booster set or whatever, let's say something like where this would come from uh but sorry, Jerry, no that's not uh never no i I don't think that's the case at all, but okay, let's uh wrap things up, and uh yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this was a long podcast uh I hope the sound quality I know it's not the greatest, but uh, do my best here in uh in, on my laptop recording on the road, but hope you guys enjoy this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the Holiday Bowl, and we will talk to you next time.
0: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting.